But today, let's, uh, before we go to God's Word, let's, let's pray together. Father, it's all gift that you would speak to us. It's just all gift. And I pray that um, for those here who have heard from your Word for a lifetime, that you would stun them today that the God of all creation whom the highest heavens cannot contain would speak to them. For those that are newer to hearing from you and new to, to having your word opened up. God, that you would stun them that this is not merely ink on a page, but it's your living and active word. So grateful for this text that, that it will affirm in many ways, and I pray will create resolve and comfort. God, we, we gather, um, we want to be inspired, we want to be corrected, we want to be challenged, we want to grow, we want to mature, we want all those things, but what we need most is to, to leave this place more impressed with King Jesus. So would you make him loud in our prayers, loud in our songs, loud in the sermon, loud during communion, loud in our, our, our benediction as we get commissioned and sent from this place, and loud throughout this coming week until we get to gather again as your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Kanye West, um, in an album that came out uh, two albums ago called Follow, uh, called Jesus is King, has a song called Follow God. And in this song, he does this kind of back and forth interplay, and most of it's with his dad, how he basically, he, he starts freaking out on his dad, his dad's freaking out on him, they start yelling at each other, and he's like, you know, that's not Christ-like. And there's this, re- this refrain throughout this song, that's not Christ-like. And then Kanye, I just think he has this incredible insight, and he says this, he says, but nobody never tell you when you're being like Christ. And that really hit me. Like, we're, we're so good at pointing out, like, hey, you failed. You didn't measure up. You didn't get there. But it's like, how often do we actually say, like, man, that looked like Jesus? That was kind of mature right there. You know, when's the last time someone said that to you? Or when's the last time you even just recognized that in yourself? We're going to look at one of um, the most, if not the most, uh, familiar passage in the book of Daniel, this story of Daniel who ends up in a lion's den, because it's so familiar, it's easy to miss something that's threaded throughout the entire passage. You can actually get it right. You can actually be faithful. You can actually be obedient. You can actually be devoted. You can actually be devoted over the long haul. You can actually finish well. I pray this would be an immensely encouraging message for you. Specifically, what we're going to look at is we look at that you can actually be Christ-like. You can get it right. You can get it right and things still go wrong. And you can get it wrong because Jesus got it perfect. So we're reading this text together. See if you can spot how Daniel got it right. If you're able to stand with me for the reading of God's word, do you stand We'll take this in three different kind of steps here, so we'll just read through verse 10. This is God's holy, um, clarifying, I pray, affirming word, inspiring word for us. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1 and following, it pleased Darius to sit over the kingdom, 120 satraps, to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials, the satraps, sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, 
but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find a connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps, they came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. And all the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, the governors, they are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Feel free to grab a seat. You can get it right. Here's what we tend to do, though, in the church. Here's how you got it wrong. And there's a, a, a place, there's a wonderful place for that. That's a, that's a healthy thing for us. But it seems that there's such an emphasis of how you got it wrong. My oldest daughter, she's at Wazoo, her first year over there as a student. She's uh, got involved in a church, a really good church, a really healthy church in so many ways. She's, she's serving on Sundays. She's finding community. She's a part of a, their version of a gospel community, these kind of mid-sized groups of men and women women and kids that get together to share their lives, and, 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 and now she's getting involved in their version of what we would call a discipleship group, usually like three to five people, um, the, the same gender getting together to like really get in each other's life, and this, is, this was the pitch for her. She was about to get into this DG. It said, you better get ready, Emma, because when you come in, I mean, it's intense. We're going to grill you. There's a lot of tears, and it's, it's like we're going after sin. It's a crazy pitch. Hey, come be a part of our group. And so she called me up. She's like, Dad, why do Christians do that? And I said, because they're idiots. Because <laughs> they get it wrong. <laughs> but we do, right? We just, we, we just get so, and I, I know, I think the heart behind it is like, man, we want to see where we're not like Christ, and we want to go after that. But, but we have so little, so little focus on how we get it right. What you can do, you can say you got it right. You can find those things that, that are in step with Christ-likeness. Uh, again, another story about Emma. She was, oh, she was like five, six, seven years old, something like that. We were down at um, the Ski to Sea Parade for Bellingham, which is a really fun parade. We're hanging out on one of the curbs, and we're sitting there, and they have all these, like, the floats coming through, and I love that the community, they just have such a huge range of things that they produce, and, and some family, God bless them, they, they, they got a truck and a flatbed trailer, and they decked this thing out in all this Disney-themed stuff, and they had their, their young daughter on this trailer, and she is singing. She's got loudspeakers, and boy, she is getting after it, and it was not very good. <laughs> it was really loud. It was really bad. Emma looks up at me, you know, five, six, seven years old, and she goes, well, at least she got the lyrics right. <laughs> I just wonder, like, where that's at in the church. It's easy. It's so easy to see sin in each other. You know what takes work is seeing righteousness and seeing the work of the Spirit. 
is seeing Christ-likeness. And this is more than trying to make some nice, affirming kind of environment. It's about laying hold of what is true in Christ. That if you're in Christ, you are more than forgiven. Now, that's not a small thing. But you are more than cleansed. You are more than washed. You are more than justified. You're actually empowered to grow and to change and obey and mature and be faithful. We're going to look at what we look at to, or what we strive towards, what we try to do to, to get right, what we're trying to get right. But first, I want to talk about how. I want to front load this with how. In this text in Daniel 6.3, it talks about Daniel was distinguished above all the other officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And multiple times through the book of Daniel, there's this refrain that says, the spirit of the holy gods was with him um, over and over and over again. They, the, 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 the people of Babylon, this, this, this foreign kingdom that had drugged Daniel and his friends off to, they, they got it like half right. When they made this refrain, the spirit of the holy gods is in him, something that they, they got like half right, but, but we know actually how he did it. How he was who he was is because of God. Because of God who is for him and with him and empowering him. It's not the spirit of the holy gods, but the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that in my life, I can underplay the power of God, not just to save me, but transform me all the time. And so here's one of my go-to texts, Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. I want you to hear both forgiveness and power to change. I want you to hear both, you, you, you are righteous because of what God does, and you are cleansed because of what God does, but you are also empowered to change. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk on my statues and be careful to obey my rules." God is saying, I'm not just forgiving you, I'm actually changing you. You know, let me, let me try to unpack the last part of this. And I'm going to put my spirit in you and, and cause you to walk. Um, you know, think about, think about God's law, God's commands, sort of like uh, Google Maps. So let's say I, I jump on Airbnb, I find this incredible place for my wife and I to go down to Laguna Beach, right on the, right on the ocean. She's going to be at the second service, so I'm going to change this illustration so she doesn't get too excited about the place we're going to. Um, I found this place in, uh, I was going to insult the community around here, I won't. All right, so <laughs> Laguna Beach. Laguna, we're going to go down, it's going to be incredible, three-day weekend, just us, you know, someone will watch the kids, and they'll love each other, they won't get in any fights, it'll be amazing. So I pull out my iPhone, I open Google Maps, and I type in the address, and I hit route, and what it's going to do is show me exactly how to get there. But here's what it doesn't have the power to do, to actually transport me there. It can't actually bridge the thousands of miles to actually get to this place. It can show me exactly where to go, and just like Google Maps, if I go off the route, it can reroute to show me how to get back on, but it has no power in and of itself to actually get me there. What do I need if I'm going to get there, if we're going to do a road trip there? I need a car. I need an engine that's reliable. I need gas in the tank. 
the Holy Spirit functions in our lives in so many different ways. One of the ways is like that, that, that the Spirit gives us power to actually be able to obey the law of God, to, to follow His commands. It's not that we have strength in and of ourselves, it's that God, through His power, causes us, as this text says, to have a new heart, to walk in His path. And why I'm doing this connection with the law of God is look at verse 5. Daniel 6, verse 5, then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. This is what he got right. He said, I really care about what God says. I'm committed and devoted to following the things that God has said. And, and what the, the, these people that conspired against Daniel said is they said, the only way we're going to catch him the only way we're going to get, we're, we're going to be able to get any sort of uh, movement over him because he's being promoted, he's being installed, he's going to become this leader in the kingdom, and he's already the third, and then he's rising to preeminence as the first. They said the only way we can get him is if it's somehow in conflict with the law of God. And with this, this what do we get right is we live as exiles in a world that, that goes haywire. Well, we want to we commit ourselves to the word of God. And the principle is so clear, but here's the problem. The application is so fuzzy. Let's talk mass mandates. Let me pick something uncontroversial because um, we're going to get to some more controversy here in a minute. What do you do with them? Super clear principle at play. Honor God by submitting to governing authorities, but only to the extent that you can still obey God as you submit to those governing authorities. Super clear. If you're a Christ follower, that's the way we're thinking about this. I want to honor God by submitting to governing... Uh, you don't even know where I'm going, do you? I'm not sure I know either anymore. I'm glad I can only see your eyeballs. Um, except for those of you that have the never-ending coffee cup that... I see you. <laughs> Thanks for laughing. Honor God by submitting to governing authorities, but only to the extent that you can still obey God as you submit to those authorities, or, or render to Caesar to the things that are Caesar's, but do not render to Caesar to the things that are God's. So do you follow the mass mandate or not? The key is that this isn't about your preferences and opinions. It's about the posture of, I will honor God. And the only way the culture can come after me is if what they're asking me to do is causing me to not honor God. That's why they say this. They say the only way we're going to get Daniel is in accordance with his devotion to God and his law. It's about this posture of, I will submit. We start there. That's the default position. And I get it as a a nation of individuals. I will have the posture of submission until I can no longer submit. And all of us have to decide, and I'm not deciding for you, just like you're not deciding for me. We all have to decide, and all of us, I think, have decided at varying levels. And all of us, you know, I've got this in parentheses, and all of us should be gracious as we can with each other as we decide. Because it's hard, and it's confusing. The principle's so clear. Honor God and His Word. Submit to it. But when the culture asks you to do something, you think, well, maybe there's some conflict here. 
Can I do that and honor God? It's tricky. It's tricky, and that's this text. This mandate came out. Don't pray to anyone but Darius for 30 days. And Daniel was confronted with something. As somebody wanted to honor the Lord, he said, can I follow that as I follow God? And we see Daniel's answer here, obviously, in this text. Now, this question of do you follow it or not, do you follow the mandate or not, it becomes even more complicated when you look at one other aspect of what Daniel was trying to get right. He wasn't just trying to stay devoted to God. He was actually committed to the common good. He was committed to the common good. He's devoted to God, he's committed to the common good. Verse 6-2, and over him three high officials of one whom was Daniel, to whom the satraps should give an account. Listen to this phrase, so the king should, might suffer no loss. He said, I need to find reputable people who are not corruptible, so they don't hive off the taxes, they don't hive off the... He says, I need to put someone that I can trust in this kingdom. And remember, Daniel wasn't a native-born Babylonian. He, he wasn't born to the Persian Empire. He was carried off. His city was ransacked. He was stolen off of his land and taken a thousand miles away and made to serve a, a, a series of terrible kings. But Daniel continued to rise up. Why? Because he was faithful. Because he was diligent. Because he was trustworthy. That's verse 6-4. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And no error was found in him. When it talks about faithful, there's not, they're not calling out his faithfulness to God. They're calling out his faithfulness to the culture. He was seeking the common good. Or you could go down to verse 22 where it says this, and the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Or, uh, uh, I read the wrong verse. It's a good one though. We'll get there. 22, my God sent his angels and shut the lion's mouth and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And then listen to this, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. And you go back to Daniel chapter one, you can see every single chapter, Daniel was seeking the good of the community that he was in unrighteously in. And this really highlights the series subtitle, that we might live with a biblical worldview, unapologetically committed to the Word of God is right and good, and that we would have a beautiful witness. That we would combine those things as best as we can by the grace of God and His Spirit. Biblical worldview, a beautiful witness, and it's an invitation to these two things, to get right, to be devoted to God and committed to the common good. I love how Alistair Begg says it in his book, Brave by Faith, our Western nations may be increasingly committed to a non-Christian worldview and ethical approach. They may be more and more antagonistic to those who wish to live out the law of God, but we are not further from Jerusalem than Babylon was. If Daniel could find a way to serve well in exile, to see the common good, to obey the state wherever he could, to give his time and talents to see Babylon flourish, then we can serve well too. Now, in order not to compromise and blend in with post-Christian culture, we will be tempted to make a run for it and isolate ourselves or to stand outside culture and shout at it. Instead, we are to serve and to serve Keep going in that direction. Keep going in the right direction. Now, the first expression of Daniel's faithfulness 
It was in chapter 1. He resolved himself, along with his friends, he said, I resolved myself to not defile myself with the king's food. I'm not going to get absorbed into this culture. I'm going to love the people of this culture. I'm going to serve the people of this culture, but I'm not going to get so absorbed into it. I lose my distinctively Christian witness. His first expression was in chapter 1. He resolved to not defile himself. And here, this is probably 70 years later where we have this, this scene. He was probably a teenager back in Daniel 1. Here he's like in his mid-80s. I love this. This is immensely encouraging. He started well and finished well. That's a good reminder that you can start well and finish well, or you can start poorly, or you can start well, get it wrong, <laughs> repent, turn around, and finish well. It's actually possible. Keep going in the right direction. This is the 11th sermon that we've done in Daniel so far, and I've mentioned writing your eulogy probably like eight times. Write your eulogies. I think one of the most helpful things that you can do is to say, what do I want to, to have said? What do I want to be by God's grace? What is God calling me to at the end of my life? And get a clear picture of what that looks like. Write that and say, I can, by God's grace, finish well. Resolve now for the type of finish you want. It's one of the reasons we push things like PDPs in our church, personal discipleship plans, because, because how you get there is by saying, okay, here's what I want to finish. How am I going to get there? What's it going to look like for me to put little things into my life to begin to, to make steps in that direction? And I love it because in finishing well, it's oftentimes not big grand gestures. It's often the ordinary everyday stuff that we do time and time again by God's grace that produces a, a godly legacy. I mean, that's what we see in this passage. We see it in, in verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. And some of us think like, oh, they made this edict about not praying. So Daniel said, oh, I'm defying that one. You can't tell me what to do, king. But what's the next little phrase say? He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. He didn't do something new. He just kept doing what he'd always done. He said, I'm not going to stop. He didn't, he didn't just start praying. Then he had a, just a lifetime. He said, this is what I do. Or we see it over in verse 16. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast in the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually. Or we see it in verse 20. As he came near the den where Daniel was, and he cried out in a tone of anguish, the king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually. There's just a consistency here. I love this, um, this quote from Angela Duckworth in her book, Grit, which I would highly commend. Non-Christian book, but there's a lot of really, really helpful stuff in it. She says, a few years ago, I read a study of competitive swimmers titled The Mundanity of Excellence. The title of the article encapsulates its major conclusion. The most dazzling human achievements are, in fact, the aggregate of countless individual elements, each of which is, in a sense, ordinary. Daniel kept going in the right direction, but it's not some crazy direction that's impossible to do. He just, he just prayed, just read the Bible, picked godly friends, showed up to work on time, had integrity in his dealings, Went to bed, prayed, had good friends, showed up to church on Sunday. I mean, it was just like ordinary stuff that he assembled and he finished well. All right, so I want you to hear this. You can get it right. Be encouraged by that. Be inspired. Let that capture your imaginations in your heart. But here's the reality. You can get it right, but even if you do, things can still go wrong. 
Let me read verse 10 and following. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks to his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, No, O king that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king established can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you have served continually, deliver you. It's an interesting interaction, right? You have people that are really jealous of Daniel's success. You have the king that's doing everything he can to try to like keep him alive because he trusts him so much. Now, we don't know if that's because the king really loved Daniel or he just benefited from Daniel. But Daniel was third, then Daniel was first. He got it right before God and for the common good, but things still went really, really wrong. In verse 13, there's this accusation. They said this, this foreigner, this one that doesn't belong, this, this one from Judah, saying he's not one of us. There's a, so what they do is they enact a policy change to catch him. They say we're going to change the policy so he'll be singled out and be shown to not be one of us. No prayer to anyone for 30 days. Now, there are endless applications here, and every culture is going to have its own flashpoints. Right? That's what happened in this time. They picked a flashpoint. They said, here's something we can do in this culture to single him out and to say he is not one of us. So I was going to talk about something more controversial than mass. Um, let me give you a loud one right now. Wherever you go with this, and I'm not going to tell you what you should or shouldn't think, I would invite you to, to go to the Word of God in community to seek it out. But what do you do with gender? Like, let's say your HR department, they decide to change the template of your email signature. And their default now is going to be it's going to have your chosen pronouns. Now, they don't mandate that you have to use them. So you can decide to remove them. But then everyone in the company will know that you removed them. What do you do? And the reason I bring these up, and I think we, as, for those who are Christ followers in the room, is these are the conversations that are happening Monday through Saturday. So we should be able to talk about them here. What do you do? Saw this blog post on Friday, Why is Evangelism Hard? And then here is the subtitle, If You Want the Real Answer, Don't Ask a Pastor. <laughs> don't ask your pastor. There's a lot of good insights, I think, in it by Stephen McAlpine. He said this, who is a pastor? But he said this, he says, the office is perhaps the hardest place to negotiate one's faith due to the strictures, structures, and almost stultifying culture that is the modern workplace, replete with shibboleths and relational vocational pitfalls. There are a lot of big words in there. It's like all the restrictions, all, 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 all the, the, the systems that are put in place, this this quieting culture, and then he gets in replete with shibboleths and relational vocational 
pitfalls. It's just hard. And this is why Daniel, a book like Daniel is so helpful. Like you're trying to live devoted to God and you're trying to provide for your family and you're trying to love your coworkers or love your classmates or love your colleagues, love your, the, the, the people on your sports teams. You're trying to seek the common good. And people get together and they make a mandate. They make some edict. And you got to figure out, what do I do with them? This word shibboleth, it's the Bible word for virtue signaling. If you think about it that way, it's a way of like, are you with us or not? Are you with us or not? And it's everywhere. Just from my news feed this last week, like, what lanyard do you choose to wear or not? What lapel button do you choose to wear or not? What wedding do you attend or not? How do you feel about transgender athletes or not? How do you address racism? and inequality. How do you feel about CRT? How do you feel about intersectionality? How do you feel about mutual responsibility? How do you feel about defunding the police? I don't know if you listened to State of the Union last week. I was like, um, I was listening to, uh, and you get to the spot where President Biden says, we don't defund the police, we fund the police. We get them all the resources they need. And I was like, what? What just happened? Are you a Republican now? It's confusing. It's just confusing. And I'm not telling you, you, none of you ever get it right. Whenever I know who you voted for, no, you don't. You've all gotten it wrong. You get it wrong for, you got it wrong for 15 years. I vote for King Jesus. Um, Here's what I want you to hear in this. The game is rigged. The game's rigged. So if you're going to look at what what it means to, 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 to like, function well here, you need a different scorecard than success. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 16 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now, this little correction in this next part, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or thief or an evildoer. And then listen to the word that gets included with that, or as a meddler. It's like if, if, if you get fired because you're a knucklehead, it wasn't because you were a Christian. It's because you're a knucklehead. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And I want to recognize with you how frustrating this is. Daniel is the most reliable, most faithful, has the most integrity. He's the most trusted over 70 years in multiple kings and multiple kingdoms. And yet he's still in the lion's den. I got nothing but shared empathy and frustration for, for those of you that are living devoted to God and seeking the common good and yet still getting blasted but it's still what we're called to do. Larry Osborne's book, Thriving in Babylon, says it like this, winning or losing is not the right scorecard. Obedience is. When we do the right thing, we're being faithful, even if we get the wrong results. Keep going in the right direction. Now, you need the right scorecard, obedience, not results. I want to be devoted to God. I want to be committed to the common good, whatever the results. 
Let me give you one more, though. You got to know your audience. Like, who are you, who are you really living for? Um, Daniel, if you just go back to Daniel's name, his name means, my God is my judge. He's kind of like channeling Tupac, right? Only God can judge me. He says, I'm going to live before God. At the end of the day, whatever happens, he's the one that gets to say approved or not. My oldest son, Owen, he knows how to work me. He's been wanting a tattoo for a while. He's 16 years old. And, um, and so he says, Dad, I want it to be about Jesus. And I said, okay, well, what do, you, what do you want to get? He says, I want to get like on my thigh. I want to, get, I want to say just audience of one. Because that's, that's, that's what I want to live for. I want to live before an audience of one. And so like when I'm about to step on the soccer pitch, I want to just be able to pull up my, my short leg and look at it and say, yeah. Pull it down and then go on the field. It's like, Dad, what, you don't want me to love Jesus? <laughs> I asked him, I said, hey, Owen, can I use this illustration? Because I always try to get permission from my kids. He says, yeah, but if you use it, then you got to let me get the tattoo. But I love it. I love it. I love what he's saying. He says, you know what? When I go out there and I play, it's not about what the coach thinks, and it's not about what the players think, and dead, frankly, it ain't about what you think. Did I play to the glory of God? When you go into your workplaces and your schools and, and, and coffee shops and, and you're engaged, it's like, man, it's not about what your teacher, your boss, or your spouse, or your best friend. At the end of the day, it's what does God think? Keep going in the right direction. All right, you can get it wrong, or you can get it right, but when things go wrong, where do you, where do you turn? Verse 16 and following, and then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared, may your God, whom you are, who you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and the diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions, and as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me. Because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded that those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces." Oh, there's so much we could say. But when things go wrong, you did it right, you got the wrong results. I love the, um, the chapter title of six from a guy named Ian DeGuid in his book on, on Daniel. He, he refers to this. Like if you go back up to like your, the little, in your Bibles at the top of chapter six, it, it probably in bold letters, maybe italic, it says something like Daniel and the lion's den. And Ian DeGuid changes this, he says, Daniel and the angel's den. I love that. It's not the lion's den. It's the angel's den. And what a different way to see your present and future challenges. As you stay devoted to God and committed to the common good, that you aren't alone. There's another that's with you. 
who will ultimately rescue you. Now, it might be through death, but he will ultimately save you. Let me just read this from Alistair Begg, again, from Brave by Faith. He says, don't doubt that there are going to be moments when you face the same choice that Daniel did, between loyalty to the prevailing winds of our culture and maintaining your position, riches, reputation, and perhaps even life, and loyalty to God at great increasing cost. Don't look back over your shoulder and pine for the supposed good old days. Don't look forward with a sense of dread. Don't run away and try and remove your family from pagan culture. Remember to lift your eyes to a higher throne, a greater king, and a nobler cause. And you will be equipped to serve well in every way you can and to stand firm when you must. Keep going in the right direction. The world may go wrong, but God is still God. You can get it right. I can get it right, and that's deeply encouraging, but here's what I want to end with, and I will end quickly with this. But what happens when you get it wrong? I look at Daniel, and he is a rock star. The reason in verse 22 that it says that God delivered him is because Daniel was blameless, and you see this judgment that's enacted in verse 24 against those that were not blameless. And I look at this, and I say, man, I want to be like Daniel, and then I look at my life, and I know that there are times when I am not like Daniel. So what do we do with that? Friday morning, I was... um, I was doing my Bible time, I was praying, I was doing Bible time, and I, I was in Luke 18, and it's this scene where Jesus tells a story between a, uh, there's a Pharisee, kind of the religious elite of the time, and a tax collector, and they both go up to the temple to, to worship God, and, 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 and there's this, this scene where the, the Pharisee, uh, he's, he's like looking at the tax collector, and he just turns his face towards heaven, he says, God, thank you that I'm not like other men, or even like this tax collector. Then he goes through this list of things that he does that he's just so amazing at. And then you have this contrast with this tax collector who's standing far off, won't even look his eyes towards heaven, he just beats his chest and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I read this text and here's what I was confronted with. I am so much like the Pharisee. I can, I'm, I can be so self-righteous and so self-congratulating. And I was wrecked. It was like this neon sign of saying, Rob, you're not like the tax collector. You are so much more like the Pharisee than you even realize. And I was wrecked. So what do I do with it? Here's what I did. I prayed. I confessed. I asked for forgiveness before God. And then I sent my wife Katie a message and I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for how critical I've been. I'm so sorry for the way that I've done this. Would you please forgive me? But here's what I did more than anything. I remembered the one who got it perfect. It wasn't about me. It's not about you. At the end of the day, it's not about what you get right and what you get wrong. It's about the one who got it perfect. And here's where we got to part ways with Daniel a little bit. Daniel is a really good God. He's a great role model, but he's not a good savior. See, he's a really good role model, but he's ultimately a signpost to the one who got it perfect. He points to the one that was unjustly accused, just like Daniel. 
but didn't just face death, who actually died. He's, he, Daniel points to the one who, 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 who didn't just spend a night with, with a lion's den, but was nailed to a cross and three days in a tomb. And do you know why Christ did it? So that we wouldn't have the outcome of verse 24, that we experience judgment, that we might have the redemption and freedom that Daniel experiences, even though we're not blameless. In this text, if we're honest, there are times we are much more like those making false accusations and grabbing for power and comfort than faithfully and dutifully serving. We can get it right. Amen? I hope you hear that. I hope you hear that. But we can also get it wrong. And our hope in the lion's den is not our goodness, but Christ's perfection. My hope and your hope is not how much we're like Daniel but how much we trust the God that Daniel trusted. You can get it right. Be energized by that. Be encouraged by that. Let the Spirit produce that in you. You can finish well. You can suffer well. You can serve well. You can be bold and courageous, faithful and winsome, and you can get it wrong because Jesus got it perfect. Keep going in that direction. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for my friends here, God. I pray that, that we would be infused with this, this crazy ability to have confidence that through the work of the Spirit that we can, we can grow as husbands and wives and kids and parents and teachers and employers and employees. and God, that we can inhabit places and nooks and crannies in this culture where we are devoted to you and committed to the common good that we don't have to choose. God, I pray, though, that somehow we can, we can lay hold of that, that we can get it right, but we wouldn't be so, so petrified that we can get it wrong because Jesus got it perfect. That we don't have to fear the outcomes because Christ conquered death. That we don't have to fear the, the, the condemnation because in Christ there is no condemnation. That we don't even have to fear where our our daily bread will come from because, Jesus, you go to prepare a place for us and you're coming back for us. That we don't need to fear the ones that can destroy our bodies, that, that we get to tremble before you who holds our eternity in his hands. Just grant us the grace to do that. Let us, let us live with a biblical worldview and a beautiful witness for the good of all of those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.